0: Welcome to Rebel Health Radio, bringing the best in alternative and integrative medicine to your ears. A big welcome to both my YouTube followers and also my listeners on Rebel Health Radio. Now, I've already done a couple of podcasts, uh, a brief introductory one telling people what I'm hoping to do with this channel. Um, I'm basically hoping to discuss all things related to holistic health, looking at the world from a very different mindset from the one we're being actually shown at the moment. And also going to interview some people involved in holistic health or integrative medicine. And I'm hoping also to review both tools and books and webinars and anything that I think will be of interest to you. So, I'm hoping to distill this information for you so that you know quality when you come across it so that you don't have to, as we know, social media is so vast these days. Finding really good shows or really good books or really good articles that actually inform you is very, very difficult. So, that's my background as it happens. I'm a former scientific researcher. I also run a business as a garden designer for a number of years and I've actually, I've juggled both those two incomes for a number of years. So actually being in science research and doing my own business Uh, and this was all quite successful until my early 30s when life just kind of caved in. And I fell very ill with a condition that I now know is a a chronic fatigue-related syndrome, sometimes called chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalitis. Um, It's got various other names now as well, but they're basically fatigue-related illnesses that involve a breakdown in your energy metabolism. And it isn't like being tired. It's not just being tired. It's actually that you physically can barely function. You can't think, you can't eat properly because you can't digest. You can barely move and you certainly don't have a social life. You're, you're barely functioning. So some people end up struggling to work. Other people manage to carry on working, but you know they don't have a social life outside of work and they're having to make up excuses as to why this is. So chronic fatigue, syndrome is one of the hidden illnesses. It's very interesting because it's totally linked I think to what we're seeing with long-term COVID infections which simply don't get better. They're very very similar illnesses. Now um, I'm going to tell a little bit about my story because I think it's interesting to note how I got to be doing what I'm now doing which is not scientific research or garden design. So when I was in my early 30s and struggling really to keep it all together, I had had a relationship breakdown like many people do. My first long term relationship had finished um, about 18 months before and I'd had to move out of my home and I'd have to leave my pets behind. And basically life was very tough because I was having to actually earn enough money to keep myself going in private rented accommodation so well initially i i became someone's lodger that was all i could afford but eventually i got into private rented accommodation but it was a real struggle i was really having a hard time trying to keep myself going and i went as you do to try and resolve that to conventional medicine going to my gp in the first instance and was given a whole load of drugs. Um, I was given sleeping tablets, I was given anti uh, antispasmodics, because uh, I shook all the time. Um, things for uh, vestibular dysfunction, because I was dizzy. Um, oh, I can't remember. Oh, amitriptyline to sort of calm anxiety, all sorts of things. I was pretty much rattling by that time. Uh, but my insomnia did not resolve. And I ended up one day in bed Uh, it was mid-morning, it was July, I remember, and I was listening to the world outside my window and I was thinking, is my life over, quite honestly, because it just seemed everybody else was going about their normal business and here I was in bed and I couldn't bear to have the curtains open and I could barely stand to listen. There was a pneumatic drill going on outside with some roadworks and I remember thinking, I just can't bear that either and what am I going to do? And Um, It was a friend of mine who said to me, why don't you investigate alternative medicine? Because you've you've been down this, you know, pharmaceutical route and nothing's really improved. And obviously, very much against my former beliefs and everything I'd been trained in, because I'd been trained as a biochemist and a pharmacologist, I decided to go and investigate Chinese herbal medicine. I, I thought that acupuncture had quite a good reputation in scientific circles, so why not try it out? And I went to see somebody, and she spent a long time with me, actually, and she looked at my tongue, which had never happened before. Nobody had ever asked me to stick my tongue out, and I now know why, because so much is written on the tongue. It's the top end of your your digestive tract, so it really tells a person a lot about you and how things are going on down there. Um, and then she took pulses and not just one pulse, but Chinese uh, medicine believes there are three and it, it sort of measures them. And she said to me, you are toxic. Uh, and I had no idea what she meant. Toxicity to me was, you know, when I don't know, you drank bad water or you um, you yeah, inhaled something nasty. And I said, well, what do you mean toxic? And she said, well, Western diet is toxic. And I said, uh, is it thinking well i you know i 'm a vegetarian i 'm sure I eat really, really well, not realizing I eat lots of uh, terrible stuff that 's probably very highly processed and full of chemicals, and so that was a real wake up call. Um, it certainly challenged me, but she gave me some herbs to boil uh, in a a sort of a saucepan, which I was then to decoct, in other words you um, you siphon them off. And you drink it over the next three days, this herbal sort of exudate, uh, which tasted disgusting. It smelt disgusting when boiling. Um, But within three days, I started to feel better. Uh, It cleared me out completely from top to bottom, let's say. Um, And I I had to think about what I was actually saying to people and what I was believing in my own mind about, the value of alternative approaches, because this had worked where nothing else had. So that began my journey, really. And I started to look into other fields of inquiry. I learned to do something called emotional freedom technique, which is a form of sensory stimulation, um, which I've done quite a few videos on, where you tap on the body. It's sometimes also known simply as tapping which was profound and again, shocked me because how on earth can you explain why tapping on the body would change anything mentally or psychologically, but it does. And of course I now have answers to that. And then I studied um, Reiki, which is a form of energy healing. Uh, And again, uh, conventionally you can't explain how that could possibly work that via um, just not even touching somebody, but actually placing your hands near their body you can actually feel the energy flow, but you can also influence the energy flow to restore harmony in their body. That's not explainable uh, unless you know quantum physics and you understand sort of a quantum view of biology, which, again, I now know. And finally, I, I went and studied massage very much because I had been helped a lot by massage in my own recovery by actually being able to physically relax Because I realized, in fact, that I was very highly stressed, that my normal was incredibly stressed, and that I had got so used to that, I didn't really know. And so I studied massage. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do that as another sideline alongside everything else. And I launched a business, and I advertised for clients. And after the first six months, I had a lady come and see me who had said to me she wanted she'd been having some disturbing feelings in her body and she felt she was probably very stressed and that this would be for stress relief. And I placed her on the couch as you normally do and covered her in a towel and placed my hands, as you do on the top of her neck and on the bottom of her sort of back on the sacrum area. And was just getting ready to do the routine, which is, you know, massaging down the back. When she shot off the bed, Uh, in a sort of jerking movement and began to cough and choke and her nose started to spontaneously bleed in front of me. And of course, massage school does not prepare you for that. There's nothing in the manual that says, what if somebody starts to choke and their nose bleeds just because you've touched them? I had enough presence to realise that whatever was going on was not She was not here. She was not present in her body. She was somewhere else. And so I I touched her shoulders as she was standing in front of me and I said, it's okay, you're here, you're safe. And I don't know where those words came from. A deeper part of me perhaps knew that she didn't feel that she was here and she didn't feel she was safe. And I needed to find out what had happened. We did, we did calm her down eventually and she did resume treatment with me. And between us, we worked out that I had triggered a procedural or body memory of something that happened when she was between two and three. Now, I'm not going to go into what that was. That would be betraying a confidence. But let's say it was an abuse scenario. And of course, her cognitive brain, the front brain, which we think of as the main part of our thinking, had not remembered that because it's not fully online until you're about seven. It starts to come online about three or four, which is why a lot of us don't have memories before that age. But our body does remember because our body is connected to a different part of our brain called the limbic system and the brainstem. And these are together considered to be the more primitive forms of memory and functioning. Indeed, the brainstem is online when you're born and it's really about suckling, about um, very routine and repetitive movements that enable you to sustain yourself. The limbic brain comes on, it's really to do with emotions and finding um, connection with others because a baby will need to do that very early on. So. I started to investigate this, and what I found really shocked me was that most of my notions of health and well being were being thrown out because I found that it wasn't just healing the body that was important, it was healing the mind as well because the mind and the body communicate. And so I had to find that out myself by trial and error, I had to find massage, I had to improve my diet, I had to go for counselling and so on, and eventually got myself into a state of of relative health. But I wanted to show people how this can be done much quicker. And that led me to write the book, which I called The Scar That Won't Heal. Um, Actually, the title came to me way before the content came to me. I knew I wanted to write a book and I knew it was going to be called The Scar That Won't Heal. And the basic premise of the book is firstly that mind and body are connected and that you cannot heal successfully if you ignore the mental component or more accurately the emotional mental component of your self, your body, your healing. But the other really important thing that, that I found when I was doing the research for the book which became the basis of my PhD, was that what happens in childhood is recorded. It's memorised in that back part of the brain and sometimes within body postures, um, within sort of neurological patterns of tension and holding. I was well known to hold my head forward a lot. In fact, when I first went for massage, that's what I was told. You know, you hold your head, your your head's really forward forward. Um, And I hadn't realized, and of course, a head forward posture is very indicative of somebody that's, they're startled, they're preparing for something bad to happen. And of course, that was my childhood, really. Um, I didn't have an abusive childhood. I had a very, quote unquote, normal childhood, where I was looked after, I had enough to eat, my parents didn't, you know, argue that much, Um, there was quite a lot of harmony, actually, over that. Um, but there were things that happened in my childhood that were quite incredibly traumatic. And initially, I was going to write the book from a, a theoretical standpoint. I was going to talk about this mind-body link and how trauma is stored in the body. But Bessel van der Kolk uh, wrote his book, The Body Keeps the Score, and it came out and it it sort of arrived just about the time I was setting down to write mine and thought, Ugh. That's the kind of book I was going to write. So what's going to make mine different? Well, I decided to include my own story, um, my own story really from childhood onwards. And that was the first chapter in the book. And it's the one that has really affected a lot of people as they've written to me. And they've said, you know, I really connected with your story and it really had echoes of my upbringing. And what I was basically discovering was that, certain things trigger responses in the body that may not be considered true trauma. When um, trauma was first researched back in the sort of late 1990s, early 2000s, it was considered that certain events were highly traumatic. Obviously, things like war, bombing, kidnapping, um, accidents, uh, divorce, particularly divorce of your parents when you're young, Um, bereavements, um, all sorts of uh, things like that 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 are significant. Growing up with alcoholic parents or drug taking, having a parent that was um, taken to prison. These are all disconnects for a child and a child needs attachment to be successfully functional in adult life. But what I had in my childhood was not conventional trauma. It's what I call hidden trauma. And actually, if I were to rewrite the book I would probably call it hidden trauma. I have actually produced an ebook now, which is available free on my website, um, which sort of covers this. But basically the premise is you can have trauma even if you don't have overt events that are categorized as trauma. So what do I mean by hidden trauma? Well, in my family, um, chronic illness, the chronic illness of my father, which was from about the age of, mm, I was probably about 13, when he started to get seriously ill. And he was in and out of hospital for the whole of the rest of the time he was alive until he died when I was 19. And and so there was always this fear he was going to go. And when he went, we would be financially, well, we would struggle because my mother worked part time. How she would support us, I don't know. So there was always this fear of losing him and it was it was unpredictable. So sometimes he'd be well or reasonably well and could basically function. Other times he'd be really ill and recovering after various procedures that he had. So there was that. There was also the discovery early on that my so-called uncle was not my uncle, but he was my half-brother. And that was when I was about 14, they told me that. And that was a, re- a really big shock. Family secrets are another source of trauma. Um, being wrong or different is another source of trauma for a child. And for me, that was kind of working out by the time I was 19, 20. Probably I knew before that I was gay and that I wasn't going to ice or get married and have children, which is what I knew my mother wanted. obviously things are very different now you can get married and have children you can do whatever you want but uh, back then it was an either or situation you know and and having to actually tell her was a very very difficult uh, experience for me and of course my father had died by then so the whole thing was full of shame and shame is a very big driver of trauma um, as I was to discover so um, these experiences, which may be not what happened, but what didn 't happen or what should have happened that you needed but didn 't get so whether that 's understanding, support, unconditional love they 're all traumas too, and they 're all recorded by the body and and what happens is it records it as a message of stress of of uh, a hyper arousal or hypersensitivity to stress. And stress, as you may know, causes a great many modern diseases. It causes heart disease. It's linked to Alzheimer's, um, probably linked to autoimmune diseases and many, many others. Of course, chronic fatigue is another one of them. Um, I haven't met anyone yet who's got chronic fatigue who doesn't have some form of chronic stress in their life. So it sets up a pattern physiologically of more breakdown than repair, and it makes us ironically, hypersensitive to more stress. So we tend to live high, high stress lives, you know, we're very overgiving um, workaholics. and, And we tend to put ourselves in the face of stress as a normal, we don't understand that it's not very good for us. And we kind of seek it because this is what our nervous system has adapted to. So I wrote the book. And not really expecting much to happen because I self-published. I'm an unknown. Nobody knows me. I'm not famous. I don't have famous friends. I asked somebody who was a bit more famous than me, who'd written a book on trauma, and I'm not going to name names, to write the uh, sort of foreword. But she declined. And she said in her reply to me that she didn't believe that what I'd had was trauma because she'd had proper abuse trauma in her childhood. And so I was writing a book that kind of uh, didn't make sense to her and she didn't want to put her name to it. Um, So I I thankfully found someone else who was willing to write the forward. And that turned out to be Elaine Wilkins, who uh, runs the Chrysalis Effect, who are an organisation dealing with um, CFS and ME recovery. Um, I got the book out and I got, I started to get people writing to me, people emailing, um, saying amazing things about the book. And I'm so glad I wrote it because it really is an important message that everybody needs to understand is that if you've come through a childhood, you're likely to have some form of trauma. Now, not all of that means you're going to fall chronically ill. Because it depends on the amount of support you have in your adult life and how you've metabolized your trauma. You know, have you made meaning of it that "Mm, that happened then, but I'm fine now? Or do you subtly undermine yourself by believing yourself um, dysfunctional, wrong, bad, these are the messages I absorbed when I was young that I'm somehow wrong and bad in some way because I couldn't cure my father I couldn't help him and I was probably gay but I couldn't deal with that and I wasn't going to give my mother grandchildren which is what she wanted and therefore I was bad there and so I had this subtle message of being wrong and these things do have a physiological output as I've said so most people have it Uh, to some degree. And those are the kinds of people that I now work with. So what this experience has taught me is, well, first of all, I've totally changed my life. You know, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've fixed everything, but I am now working as a therapist who works somatically. In other words, I work through the body to help other people resolve these unresolved emotional traumas, usually from childhood, but then sometimes triggered in adulthood, and, and the big trigger for me, of course, was uh, having my relationship breakdown down but it could be it could be a viral illness, it could be an accident, it could be um, redundancy and as well as bereavement and divorce. These are common triggers and And what happens then is uh, so a person will start to show symptoms, and these symptoms develop gradually over time, so they tend to start with little things. Allergies, um, sometimes gut issues. Then they'll go deeper and start to develop more significant problems. And what what I'm doing now is, apart from obviously talking about this and helping to educate people, I'm running a, a, a clinic where I help people come to terms with their emotional imprints and resolve them through the body somatically. So if I use just the thinking brain to tell you, you know, stop thinking that. Don't feel bad about yourself. Well, you know, it's nice to hear, but it doesn't change the way you feel. If, however, I ask you to track that in your body, you know, when I say to you, I feel shameful, where do you feel that? Where do you feel that in your body? And most people will be able to isolate a feeling and we can then track that feeling and then we can help resolve it with a number of different tools which change the neurological, in other words, the nerve pathways that are causing that symptom in the body or that feeling in the body. And when we do that, when we start to track it in a, in a, a situation of groundedness and connection with another person, me, um, we bring the front brain online which is your context generator, it's your analytical reasoning brain. And so we start to integrate the front and the back brains properly with a new message of safety. And that's what we do. And um, basically I'm gonna record some sessions with people um, to show you what happens within a session, because I think it's really important that people know that this solution is out there, that you don't need to suffer pain, fatigue or anxiety Because these are all major symptoms of these unresolved emotions within you, an an emotion of threat. And that's what I'm going to be doing. So my podcast is really um, going to involve education, um, information, because I think the more information we have about tools for resolution, the sooner we're going to get ourselves healed. And when we heal ourselves, we heal the people around us and we heal our world. And right now, we're in the midst of a a very difficult situation in 2021. So I'm looking forward to bringing a message of hope out there. And I look forward to spreading this with you. Hey, hope you enjoyed listening to Rebel Health Radio. Do subscribe and look forward to catching you soon.